I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, border battle. Senate Democrats try to find support for Ukraine as a bipartisan plan to address border security appears to be crumbling. We're on Capitol Hill, weighing in. An international court issues a ruling regarding Israel's war with Hamas. Thanks be to God. New developments regarding the religious sisters in Haiti recently freed from a kidnapping. And the spirit is moving him. Why a man is running 50 miles to honor Christ. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. With us on the Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus, our top story tonight, the White House and Senate negotiators continue their weeks-long border policy negotiations, forging ahead on issues like immigration parole authority. But divisions among Republicans, led by former President Donald Trump, deepen and threaten to derail the whole thing. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Eric? Well, good evening, Tracy. Yeah, the big question is, what happens now? Honestly, nobody really knows. Negotiators tell me that they're about 90 to 95 percent done on the bipartisan effort to introduce new border policy changes, a plan which would also include support for Ukraine aid and Israel aid. But Republican leader Senator Mitch McConnell says that the plan might be dead because former President Donald Trump wants to take the lead on any new immigration policy. Meanwhile, the chief negotiators, they're still at it, and they tell me that they remain optimistic. The things that are in this bill, Donald Trump would actually want to be able to have as president on this. Obviously, if he was president right now, we would have a secure border right now. But he's not, and we don't. But there's also legal authorities that he was looking for when he was president, like changes in asylum law, that is in this bill. I am not giving up. I believe that there are still enough Republicans who actually are sincere about fixing the problem that we can get this done. But Senator Chris Murphy also cautions there's a faction in the Republican conference that will oppose any border deal. Other senators tell me. I think trying to keep this behind closed doors, but demanding we support it. I've been told, I don't know how many times, this is the best deal ever. And they won't let us see it. They won't let you see it. They won't let the public see it. I mean, let us see it. I, I just think this is, I think it's been terrible. Both sides are still positive that, that we should see a deal emerge soon could be over the weekend, then we could turn to it next week. No guarantee, might fall apart, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, the state of Texas under Governor Greg Abbott continues to take matters into its own hands, installing more razor wire along the 30-mile stretch of border near Eagle Pass, a key crossing point for illegal migrants. House Speaker Mike Johnson backs Texas. He posted, quote, I stand with Governor Abbott. The House will do everything in his power to back him. And so does Senator Rand Paul. The Biden administration went to the Supreme Court to get the permission to remove barriers, the cargo and the fencing that Texas is putting up, they're taking down. So that doesn't, to me, show resolve to stop the migrant invasion. Meanwhile, the standoff in Texas continues. Border Patrol was supposed to start removing the razor wire today, but that is yet to happen. The governor of Texas says that he plans to install more if that happens. As for the border deal, well, the work continues. Some lawmakers are already looking at Plan B, trying to pass maybe Ukraine and Israel separately. That aid, that is. Meanwhile, all Ukraine can do is just wait as soldiers on the battlefield over there continue to ration ammunition. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly.
Well, for more, let's bring in Ken Cuccinelli, Senior Fellow with the Center for Renewing America and former Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. Ken, great to have you back on. Um, as we know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is not backing down, and he also has support uh, from many fellow governors. How do you see this ultimately playing out? Yeah, he certainly has political support. Um, I hope what happens, um, the, the ultimate legal authority, constitutional authority that he has recently been claiming to repel the invasion of our southern border, which exists in Article One of the Constitution. It's at the very last paragraph of Article One, but he has not actually used it very robustly. It's been real heavily a war of words. Um, you'll know that he's crossed to another level um, when he starts returning people to Mexico using the constitutional self-defense power that Texas has. Um, and you are right. 25 governors support him, have stated support for him. But what will they do about it? Will they send their troops and put them under the command of Governor Abbott, which is necessary for Governor Abbott to be able to use them to exercise the authority to repel the invasion into Texas, that's a necessary element. That can be deputization. There are ways to do that. Um, but it remains to be seen how far the other governors will go. And they can't go any farther than Governor Abbott. So he does look very good, graded on a curve. The other border governors are doing nothing. Uh, Biden is clearing the way for illegal aliens to invade the country including going to court to do it. Um, but that is, uh, it is truly the front line of the battle. And I would urge Governor Texas to start returning people back over to Mexico um, without working with Mexico, just put them back in there. They came through and they can go back home. Um, and pretty soon you'll find Mexico will be incentivized to stop the flow themselves as they did back when I was the deputy secretary at the Department of Homeland Security. Ken, let, let's talk about, you know, the state's rights versus the Fed's rights uh, in this particular situation. I mean, where is the line drawn? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's not where you're used to it. We're all we all grew up with the supremacy clause of the Constitution. Right. That seems to say the federal government outranks the state governments. That's not actually what it says. It says the federal Constitution is the highest law of the land. And the authority that Greg Abbott says he's exercising sometimes is from the Constitution. When the states made the federal government, they retained the authority to defend themselves, just like you and I have the right to defend ourselves. And in the famous Second Amendment case, the Heller case in 2008, Justice Scalia said, government didn't give you the right to defend yourself. It preserved it in the Second Amendment in the same way when the states made the federal government, they reserved to themselves in the Constitution the right to repel an invasion without federal permission or cooperation. And the founders were wise. This is exactly the kind of situation uh, where that's appropriate. And Greg Abbott, I would urge him to do more than he has done. They have the forces and the money and the political will and the people of Texas certainly support it. I'd like to see him finally defending 60 percent of our border with Mexico by sending people back. And if he does that, they'll stop coming. Well, Ken, so much more we can talk about, but unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on and for your insights. Always appreciate it.
Well, the Biden administration is reacting tonight to a ruling by the International Court of Justice. South Africa accuses Israel of committing genocide against Palestinians. Today, the court did not demand a ceasefire in Gaza, but it did harshly criticize Israel's wartime conduct. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen? That's right, Tracy. The U.N.'s court is demanding Israel do all it can to prevent death and destruction as it battles Hamas. The U.S. has strongly supported Israel's war against the terror group ever since the horrific attacks on October 7th. And the White House has rejected calls for a ceasefire. Israel vowing to keep going after Hamas in the Gaza Strip. The war now in its fourth month, tens of thousands dead or injured, others held hostage. And now, the International Court of Justice ruling that Israel must try to contain death and damage in the besieged enclave. The state of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Israel's prime minister says the genocide charge was false and outrageous. Israel's commitment to international law is unwavering. Equally unwavering is our sacred commitment to continue to defend our country and defend our people. And today in the briefing room, the National Security Council spokesman went before reporters with the White House response to the court ruling. Uh, we're going to continue to support Israel. At the same time, we, we, we can... We can still continue to urge Israel to be more careful and more precise. We can continue to urge Israel to get more humanitarian assistance in. Thanks, everybody. Also in the briefing room today, the National Climate Advisor defending the administration's move to delay consideration of new natural gas export terminals in the United States. I think we've got to be clear-eyed about the challenges that we face. Um, the climate crisis is that, uh, an existential crisis. President Joe Biden's election year decision aligns with environmentalists who fear liquid natural gas or LNG's impact on the planet. Critics condemn the move as a win for Russia. Earlier this month, one industry group warned this. In the absence of U.S. energy leadership, the world will likely turn to other sources, to dirtier fuels from unstable regions. Also tonight, ahead of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, President Biden issued a statement that reads in part, On October 7th, Hamas terrorists unleashed pure, unadulterated evil on the people of Israel. He calls it the worst atrocity committed against the Jewish people in a single day since the Holocaust. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. More than 1,200 people working for the Protestant Church in Germany have been credibly accused of sexual abuse. The numbers are from an independent study released yesterday. One author says the findings are, quote, the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Dies ist eine hochselektive Stichprobe und spiegelt in keiner Weise das wahre The author also says that there are likely many more people who could have been accused of abuse, given that not every personnel file was made available. The head of the Council of the Protestant Church in Germany said that she was deeply shocked by the results and adds that she apologizes wholeheartedly to the victims. A new video shows two of the six religious sisters recently released after being kidnapped in Haiti, leaving a local hospital. It is unclear what injuries they may have sustained while in captivity for several days. A local archbishop said all six religious sisters and the two drivers who also were kidnapped and released are in good condition. He declined to say whether a ransom had been paid, but added, quote, thanks to God for helping us.
Uh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including capital punishment. Was a new execution method used last night cruel and unusual? And analysis of a disturbing relationship trend and why it poses a threat to traditional marriage and the family. The state of Alabama executed a convicted murderer Thursday night using nitrogen gas, becoming the first known state to use the method. Kenneth Smith's attorneys contended the method could violate the constitutional ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The U.S. Supreme Court allowed the execution to proceed. A Vatican-affiliated Catholic charity urged Alabama not to go through with the execution, calling the method uncivilized. Lawmakers in Minnesota are debating whether to allow assisted suicide. The House committee yesterday heard arguments on euthanasia even though the legislative session does not begin until next month. Ten states and the District of Columbia allow some form of assisted suicide. And in Wisconsin, Republicans have passed a measure calling for a statewide vote on whether to ban abortions after 14 weeks, the proposal now heads to the state Senate. Democrat Governor Tony Evers says that he is against the measure. Current Wisconsin law bans abortion after 20 weeks. A study from Pew Research finds 51% of adults under the age of 30 say an open marriage is, quote, acceptable. At an article late last month in a New Yorker magazine examined all the ways that open marriages and relationships with three or more partners are becoming popular in movies and television. This follows several cities in Massachusetts that gave polyamorous relationships the same rights as married couples. For analysis, we turn to moral theologian Father Thomas Petrie, president of the Dominican House of Studies. Father Petrie, great to have you back on. So what do you make of the increase in the depiction of polyamorous relationships in movies and in TV? And does this necessarily signal a wider acceptance of this type of relationship in society? Well, we shouldn't be surprised that there's wider acceptance of this in society. Back before Obergefell, the Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage, many of us were already arguing that same-sex marriage would lead to polygamy and polyamorous marriages. Once you separate marriage from being a union, a faithful, exclusive union of one man and one woman for the sake of having children and raising children in the best possible situation for those children— then there is no logic to keeping it simply limited to two people. This is the slippery slope. And we were accused uh, in that before Obergefell of arguing a slippery slope and that this would never happen. But of course, it's it's sinful human nature. Of course, it's, it's going to happen and it is happening. Yeah. And as we mentioned, uh, the study last year from Pew Research found that 51 percent of adults under the age of 30, well, they say an open marriage is acceptable. Does that surprise you? And what is happening here, Father? Well, it is not surprising because uh, fallen human nature, uh, being what it is, the, with the carnal appetites being over um, overstimulated in our society, uh, it's not surprising that arrangements in which those base appetites can be satisfied in multiple different ways um, is, is becoming increasingly popular. It's the same reason that many young people are, in fact, not attracted to marriage itself. 
And you and I uh, previously spoke about this a few years ago, about a city in Massachusetts, uh, Somerville, I believe, that gave polyamorous relationships the same rights as married couples. Where do you see this going? And do you see maybe other towns and cities going this route? And what can be done? Oh, I'm sure we'll continue to go down this slope. It's uh, it's inevitable because the logic of marriage as one man and one woman for the sake of children has been completely uh, disconnected. It has been completely uh, rejected by many in our society and by, by federal law and by state law, uh, by the Supreme Court in 2015 with the Obergefell decision. And so we'll see other types of relationships soon. I'm, I fully expect to receive uh, moral approval, uh, social approval, and probably legal protection. I mean, there's nothing to uh, suggest that uh, incestuous uh, relationships uh, would be uh, immoral in the in this sort of setting or relationships between um, different species. You know, we, we, we see stories already of, of people wanting to marry their cat or marry their dog or marry their tree. Simply put, legally speaking, secularly speaking, marriage has lost any meaning for most people in our country. Yeah, Father, obviously we have to pray. Uh, any final thoughts? Well, the fact is that uh, we know that what marriage is, the marriage between a man and woman, we know this not only because of reason and natural law, but because God has revealed it. And God has also revealed that uh, all things will be restored in Christ. And so we pray for that to happen. Um, and we pray that these sort of this moral decline that we're witnessing will uh Inevitably, as it will, bring about uh, some sort of chastisement, but that God will, in fact, heal our country and bring us back to the right path. Father Petrie, thank you so much. We appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Catholic by the numbers. Many of those who profess religious vows in 2023 had one main trait in common. We'll explain. Plus, meet a man willing to run 50 miles for the Eucharist. A new study shows that almost all Catholic religious who took final vows in 2023 have a certain trait in common. According to a survey by Religious Brothers, priests and sisters taken by Georgetown University, 99% say that during the most formative part of their childhood, they were raised by their biological parents. 88% say they were raised by a married couple living together, and 5% were raised by one parent who was divorced or separated. Uh, Pakistan is ending its mandatory study of Islam for non-Muslim students in 1st through 12th grade. The new curriculum will allow children to study the religion that their families belong to. The Christian lesson plan includes study of the Bible, the life of Jesus, the miracles of Christ and the values of Christianity. Well, a concerning new report by the United Nations finds in Afghanistan, the Taliban are placing severe restrictions on women, in particular on single and what they call unaccompanied women. According to the U.N.'s most recent quarterly report, the Taliban is placing restrictions for work, health care and travel on women who are not married. A few years ago, the Taliban prevented girls from attending school beyond sixth grade. It also started enforcing a dress code, which included wearing a head-to-toe burqa. The Taliban retook control of Afghanistan following the U.S. withdrawal 
in 2021. And one person who knows firsthand about the situation in Afghanistan is Jason Jones, human rights advocate and founder and president of the Vulnerable People Project. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, first, I want to get your you. thoughts on this latest report from the U.N. Yeah, well, it's really just the tip of the iceberg, you know, uh, after the catastrophe of the Biden administration's ham-fisted withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's been one disaster after another, natural disasters like earthquakes and human disasters like uh, famine caused by five decades of war, uh, political unrest. There have been clashes between Iran and the Taliban, ISIS attacks on religious minorities like the Hazara. So this report really just uh, scratches the surface of the deep sorrows that the people of Afghanistan are suffering. Yeah, and you've done a lot of work in Afghanistan, helping the people there with your Help for Afghanistan program, which included opening a women's health clinic. Tell us what you have seen and heard from women in Afghanistan. Well, you know, just this week, we uh, evacuated an Afghan woman who was beaten almost to death. We moved her to um, Pakistan, where now we're processing her paperwork to get her uh, humanitarian parole. Um, last year, just several months ago, we had to evacuate several girls whose who, who their school was bombed in an ISIS attack to Spain for medical treatment. Um, a couple of months ago, we had to rescue some young Afghan girls in Pakistan who were being trafficked and brought them into our safe houses. And through our Coal for Christmas campaign, of course, we're distributing food and coal to minorities, religious and ethnic minorities, and the uh, widows and orphans of our allies who were killed in action. So as we work in every province in Afghanistan and in the neighboring countries to care for our allies who are seeking to eventually be brought to the United States because they have been promised visas and they've been waiting now three years, um, we see that the women and the children of Afghanistan are, 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 are suffering horribly. They are indeed. And when the Taliban came back into power um, after the U.S. left, they claimed that they would be more moderate than they were before. Uh, that certainly has not been the case. In fact, life for women, as you know, there has really progressively gotten worse from a human rights standpoint. Jason, what do you think can be done, if anything, to change this? Well, I think the U.S. government has to do keep its promise to our allies who are given visas. Uh, there are tens of thousands of Afghan allies uh, in hiding, still waiting for the U.S. State Department to process their visa requests. It's the first thing we can do. That's something we can unilaterally do uh, to help those who served us. Um, and I do believe we need to begin engaging with the government in Afghanistan, specifically to advocate for an end to the genocide of the Hazara people, to demand a coalition government that allows all the communities in Afghanistan to participate in this government, and to see at least the most fundamental basic protections uh, for women. And after five decades of war wars that involved the two most the two most powerful militaries in the world, first the USSR and then the United States, I think we have to um, really work to guarantee food security so the people of Afghanistan that are living on the brink of starvation uh, can have hope. There's a new movie coming out March 8th on the life of Mother Cabrini. And she had said to the Holy Father that her goal was to create an empire of hope. And her ultimate ambition was to bring hope to the people of Afghanistan. She said, the people of the world have forgotten Afghanistan. So I remember, that's what this wonderful Catholic saint said over a century ago. And here we are again, I feel that the world has forgotten Afghanistan. And I'm privileged to run a Catholic apostolate 
that seeks to bring hope to the people of Afghanistan in the same way that St. Cabrini desired to bring hope to the people of Afghanistan. That's so beautiful, Jason. And your program over there is called Hope for Afghanistan. Quickly, almost out of time, but what's your hope for Afghanistan? Uh, my hope is that, you know, my prayer every night with my family, we, we pray every night that Afghanistan uh, can in our lifetime become a shining example of peace, prosperity, and religious freedom where the ethnic minorities participate and thrive. This is, this is my prayer. For two decades, uh, the men and women, our men and women in uniform uh, fought shoulder to shoulder with the people of Afghanistan. We've knit together a very tight bond. Um, we have created a we have created we have participated in creating this catastrophe in Afghanistan in the wake of uh, the Biden withdrawal. So we need to participate uh, and cooperate to creating uh, a prosperous and pe peaceful future for the families of Afghanistan. Oh, Jason, thank you so much for coming on for all that you do. We appreciate it. God bless you, friend. Thank you, Tracy. Pope Francis met today with officials of the Vatican Department that recently released a document on blessings for same-sex couples. The Holy Father told the Dicastery for the Doctrine of Faith to, quote, bless the persons and not the union. Accenno pure la recente dichiarazione fiducia supplicans. The Holy Father also said that, quote, when a couple spontaneously approaches a minister and asks for a blessing, he is not blessing the union, but simply the people who together have requested it. Finally tonight, to show his devotion to the Eucharist, a man from North Carolina is going the extra mile today, or actually 50 of them. Ultra marathon runner Jimmy Coleman's 50-mile run in the Charlotte area includes stops at five Catholic churches to make it in time for adoration. It was the Eucharist that brought Coleman back to the Catholic faith, and now he hopes his run today will inspire others to take the Eucharist more seriously. That is wonderful. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night, and God bless.